Hey, this is Lydia Cornell from Too Close for Comfort and Curb Your Enthusiasm and Full House, Knight Rider 18, Dukes of Hazard, hundreds of other shows. And I want you to join 30 Minutes Live with CDP every Wednesday and Friday night on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm going to be on the show soon, too. Love, Chris. <clears throat> hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to uh, Live with CDP podcast on this Wednesday, September 8th. I'm just waiting for my guest, uh, Kelly Dudzik, uh, anchor reporter for WGRZ Channel 2 in Buffalo, and uh, the host of Midday uh, from uh, WGR coming on as my guest tonight and talk a little bit more about her career with WGR and some uh, news as well. So I'm looking forward to having Kelly on. Uh, she should be on shortly. So I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody watching live tonight on my YouTube channel, on Twitch, and also um, Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Facebook tonight, but hopefully next week. So uh, just give me about a minute or so, guys, and I will bring um, Kelly on. I'm looking forward to speaking to Kelly again. Uh, I had her on June 1st, so this will be her second uh, time on Live with CDP. So, uh, And also, guys, if you want to, you can follow Kelly on Twitter at Kelly Dudzik, WGRZ, and that's where you can follow her on Twitter, or you can check out WGRZ.com as well for their website. So, guys, just give me a minute, and I will bring on Kelly right now. Good evening, Kelly. How you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me and see Great. me okay? Yeah. Okay, no problem. And I have Elsa here, too. <laughs> Which one is that? Which cat is that? This is Elsa the Tortie. She's actually oh, the I'll oldest. See. Yeah. Oh, okay. We, we adopted Blanche first, but we adopted Elsa when she was about a year and a half old. She was a mom, and we adopted her from the um, City of Buffalo Animal Shelter. Yeah. Uh, my lazy cat, Latte, is sleeping on my new Lazy Boy <laughs> recliner right now. She, she's on the the recliner more than I am. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's much, but I'll tell you that she's much happier with the cooler temperatures. Yes, ours are too. Ours are too. Definitely. So how was your day? Um, it was good. It was uh, chaotic towards the end. There was an issue in the studio where the audio board wasn't working. So instead of most Buffalo today at four, we aired a special that Pete Gallivan had recorded earlier. And then we had to make some changes to our newscast because we had some microphone issues. So at five o'clock, Scott anchored by himself. Then at 5.30, Kate anchored by herself, and that's when Most Buffalo aired. And then at 6 o'clock, Mary Alice anchored by herself. So there were a lot of quick changes that had to happen because of that technical problem. Which, uh, like I said, does happen even with podcasts yes. as well. So I always try to have a, a backup plan just in case there's an issue with a guest or something like that. So, Or I've learned how to ab lab and just keep talking. Well. Exactly, exactly. And that's key. So today, what we did is we just recorded a bunch of our stories instead of doing them live in the studio, since we had those issues where we had limited access for microphones. I guess it happens from time to time as well. Yeah, yeah. But everybody Definitely. adapted and the shows went on for the most part. So hopefully it'll be fixed before the nine o'clock newscast and the 11 o'clock newscast and hopefully before daybreak tomorrow morning. I would think that they would figure out a solution by then because um, that's a two and a half hour newscast to do with just one anchor is difficult or to do with like limited people that you can hear from. Because I think tonight we were just limited to 
a meteorologist and one anchor. Wow. I was going to yeah. say these IT, these IT guys are very important for your job as well. Mm -hmm. How many do yeah. you have? How many do you have at WGR for IT guys? Um, well, we have one IT guy and then we have a couple of broadcast engineers, not as many as we used to, but that's a kind of job where if something like this happens in your home or you're off or something, you're probably getting a call. Okay. Um, I was going to say, like I said, I guess in your industry, you always have to be prepared for the unexpected. Yes, absolutely. Because a piece of equipment could break like it did today, or um, your story could change. And that's happened to me a lot where you're working on one story in the beginning of your shift and then something breaks, there's breaking news or um, your story falls through because you can't get the interviews you need or there's a snowstorm that happens something like that could happen and and then your whole day changes just at the drop of a hat that's one thing it's always interesting with your what you're telling me it's never every every day is totally different absolutely every day is totally different um you might go into the day thinking oh i'm probably going to be working on this story and you end up doing something totally different something unexpected um, yesterday, I know that Ron was originally assigned to a different story, and then there was a minivan that drove into the water, and he was out there covering that all day. So that's something like that's an example of a breaking news situation where he was assigned to one thing, got switched to another thing, and was out there all day just because in order to know what's going on, you have to physically be there. You can't just be in the office. Okay. Well, I just wanted to say thank you again for coming on. And uh, if something did come up, Kelly, uh, just give me an email or a tweet or whatever and let me know. Because I, I realize with your profession, too, things can change in a second. Oh, yeah. No problem. And I'm glad to be here. It's good to okay. be here. Well, I, I was just uh, telling my audience that you're on June 1st. And I'm like, where did June, July, and August go? <laughs> That's right. The summer flew by. When I started seeing all the pumpkin stuff at Wegmans in the middle of August, I was like, mm -mm, no, I feel like no one, no one got their summer this year just because there's so many COVID restrictions and COVID is such a big deal still. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you, did you go to the National Buffalo Wing Festival this uh, weekend at uh, Highmark Stadium? I noticed it wasn't at uh, the Bison Stadium this year. Right. Usually it's at Salem Field. But they moved it to Highmark Stadium this year because they didn't know if the Blue Jays were going to be in town. So the Blue Jays were supposed to have a homestand that weekend, and they didn't want to chance it. So they were able to find a new partner for this year. I don't know if it's permanent or if it was just a one-time deal, but they held the Wing Fest at Highmark Stadium this year. And I did not get to go, um, but I did get to cover it last week, and I did a story previewing Wing Fest the day that they had the truck drop off 20 tons of wings for people to enjoy. So what the deal is they, um, all the wings are the same wings. They bring in this mega truck full of wings and they cook them. And then all the restaurants and food trucks that come. And I think there were like 20 this year, maybe, which is a not as not as many as they normally have, but all the restaurants put their own sauces on them. So you get them like, pre-cooked already and then you're really like judging the sauces when you go there and, and you know they give out the trophies for the best wings 
I guess uh, Joey Chestnut, the hot dog king, uh, was there, and I guess he finished second. He did. He lost. I think it was. It like came down to the wire, and I think I remember reading that he ended up eating two fewer wings than the winner. So yeah, two hundred. He did not win. He did not win. Uh, yeah, I guess the winner, uh, Mika Sudo. I yeah. think. Yeah. Two hundred and forty-six wings in twelve minutes. That's oh my god. <laughs> I just can't imagine that. I mean, you have to have a strategy yeah. and you have to be a competitive eater because I, you know what? I would want to see what a regular person would be able to do in that amount of time, how many wings they'd be able to eat. Now, one question, do they have to all be hot, hot ones or can they choose the sauces they want on their wings? I'm not sure. I think that they all have to be the same. I think they, I, and I, I, and you know what else I need to figure out? Cause I think I'm right. I think that they measure them by weight and maybe not by wing because they're, they're different size wings depending upon who your distributor is. Like you could go to one place and they could have big meaty wings. You could go to another place and they're these like tiny things. So I think that they like are very, very precise, but I'm pretty sure that they're all getting the same sauce. So just so that it's fair, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, do you have a favorite wing place in Buffalo? I like Gabriel's Gate. That's always fantastic. Um, probably my favorite wings are from Gabriel's Gate. I also like Lenova. We get Lenova at work a lot. Like uh, election night pizza is usually from Lenova. So I like those wings. Um, I have had wings that I won't say where they're from, but I have had wings before that I don't particularly care for. Um, I tend to go for the wings that have like a good sauce on them and there's like sauce at the bottom of the basket. I tend to not like dry wings or wings that don't have a lot of sauce on them. So I, I go for your like traditional wing with like a medium or medium hot sauce made with Franks and butter. Those are my favorite. Okay. I like yeah. Duff's. I've had the Anchor Bar and I like Duff's, but I and always like uh, Duff's better. Yeah, I like Duff's a little bit better. And I also like blue cheese dressing with the wings. Oh, they, absolutely. Yeah, because I know people here in Ontario, they're more of the into ranch dressing. They're like, oh, like and I like, no, for me, it's blue cheese with wings. And I have to have a New York Beer Project beer. Oh, what's it called? Oh. NYBP, the New York yep. Beer Project. And I always have to have a beer with those. And I really miss. I really miss Duff's. I know they have them in Toronto, but yeah. I've, I try to avoid Toronto as much as I can because it's just crazy to drive in Toronto right now. And I, I so I'm hoping I'm hoping by maybe in the next couple of months we'll be able to uh, cross the land border again because um, the border is still closed uh, for non-essential travel yep. until September 21st. But Canadians can fly over, and that's what I don't understand, Kelly is. We can't go across the land border, but we can fly across. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's open by November, maybe optimistic. Yeah, I, we don't have an update. I know that we asked Congressman Brian Higgins um, on Labor Day, actually, if there was an update from Washington. He said there was no update yet. He's pushing to reopen the border. And um, he said there was no update yet from the White House. So we, we don't know. We don't know if it'll be extended again. Um, or not. But yeah, you're right. There are Canadians who have been flying in. I know that we did a few stories about Canadians who were taking like private charter flights in just to be able, if they had property here to be able to check on it. And there were yep. small planes landing, I think at the Niagara Falls airport. 
Um, but yeah, you still can't get through unless it's for essential travel and you work here in the U.S. That's one yeah. of the things that will allow you to get through um, and cross the Peace Bridge right now. Yeah, it's been a year and a half now. <laughs> yeah. 18 months. It's like, yep. oh my God, like we're, it's hard to believe a year and a half. And um, I was supposed to take my mom to Billy Joel concert um, last year, like I mentioned to you, and it got yeah. postponed for a year. So I said, the Ticketmaster, I don't want a refund. Just, uh, we'll just go next August. Well, about a week and a half before the concert, uh, they announced the U.S. border was going to be closed to September right. 21st. And a lot of people from Ontario had tickets to Billy Joe and Ticketmaster at the time was not replying to anybody. And I guess some of the people here, I didn't, I went on social media. They went to the mainstream media here, um, Global News, CTV News. Yeah. And I guess they put the pressure on Ticketmaster and the promoters of the Billy Joe concert. And they did give us a refund. And I even That's said good. to Ticketmaster, yeah. I said the Ticketmaster. Ideally, I would have loved to go, but uh, right. we can't cross. We can't cross the border, and, and a Billy Joe concert is not uh, considered essential. So, uh, unfortunately, yeah, I was hoping they'd postpone the concert because they did in Detroit because a lot of their uh, uh, fans are from across the border. But oh. but here in Buffalo, they wanted to go ahead, and unfortunately, I rather had gone to the concert, but unfortunately, things are out of our hands. So yep. I'm hope I'm hoping Billy Joe comes back to. Uh, Buffalo maybe next summer again I hope I would think so I mean he's still going to be on tour he's not that was not his final tour from what I know so I would think that you would have another opportunity to take your mom to see him yes I'm all, I'm just hoping things get better because I know our numbers in Ontario have gone up again and and that they're now looking at vaccine passports and all that as of actually September 22nd I think right didn't they decide last week that you have to show that you're vaccinated in order to go pretty much everywhere except for a medical appointment or a grocery store? Yes. Yes. So um, I've already been taken care of, but uh, like I said, uh, there's still a lot of people that haven't been vaccinated yet. So I just hope things get better because like I said, this last year and a half has kind of been brutal, to be honest with you. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it has for so many people from you know a health standpoint to an economic standpoint. Oh, I was going to say that too. Yeah. Um, even the border cities must be hurting too, because I know uh, Port here on Michigan, which is just across from Sarnia, they used to get a lot of Canadians come over. And then obviously Niagara Falls, Ontario too. So, uh, or New York, sorry. Uh, so a lot of the border cities must be uh, hurting big time right now with what's going on. Yeah. A lot of Canadians come here to shop, especially to go to the Galleria and to the outlets in Niagara Falls. So a lot of times if you go to the outlets, you'll look at the license plates and half of them are from Canada. So I know that, you know, a lot of our communities have lost out on millions, probably at this point, billions of dollars that the U.S. has lost out on, you know, Canadian dollars that Canadians would have spent here in the last year and a half. I was going to say, um, I know in Ontario right now, there's still a lot of businesses looking for employees, especially the food and beverage uh, uh, sector. Is that the same case in New York State, too, where there's a lot of restaurants looking for help right now? They're short-staffed? Yes, yes. In fact, there are restaurants that are adjusting their schedules for their normal, like, fall-winter schedules. But there are also restaurants that are saying, you know, we're having to change our hours because we don't have enough people working here right now. So there are restaurants that are dealing with that issue, scaling back, they haven't bounced back yet, or maybe you know it's not an issue of them not being able to find people to work. It could also be an issue of um, 
you know, figuring out how many people they are able to hire based on how many, um, how much in sales they're able to do. So I'm not sure what the real issue is. Different people say different things, but there are definitely a lot of help wanted signs up. And I know here in the U.S., the extra $300 in unemployment from the federal government that people were getting went away this week. So people are kind of waiting to see if that will mean that more people are looking for jobs who maybe weren't, if they were on unemployment, or um, what the deal is, or if places have to start raising wages. That's been a big debate as well. But there are a lot of restaurants in um, Western New York that have had to change their hours. There have been some that have had to close because they haven't been able to find enough help. And it's the same here too. Uh, one of the things was uh, when this pandemic struck, uh, the government here gave out CERB and uh, it was $2,000 a month. It wasn't even taxable. And a lot of people were making more money on the government 2000 a month than some of their jobs in some cases. And it's been now hard for people to, to get off that and to get back yeah. to work too as well. So, and uh, I was going to say, it's going to take a long time to recover from this pandemic economically in, yes. in your country and Canada. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you okay for a little more time? I was just going to ask you sure. some questions. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, uh, first one I wanted to ask you, Kelly, what's the latest story you're working on for WGR at Midday? And uh, again, can you tell my audience quickly what a normal day, if it's a normal day, yeah. is like at WGR? <laughs> so there really is no normal day because every day is different. Um, but today, for example, I did some training and then I covered Governor Holcomb's press conference. She held a COVID-19 update and she it was not here in Buffalo. It was downstate, but I was able to join the Zoom meeting. And um, she took questions from reporters who were there in the room and there was limited capacity because of COVID. And then there were also reporters who were on Zoom who were asking questions. And so I covered that and I wrote three stories. I did three stories, four, four, five, and six about that. And what I did is that didn't happen. And it was supposed to start at 1.15. And it didn't start till after 1.30 because all the media people had to get in and get situated. So by the time it was over with, it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. And I was supposed to be on the air at 4 doing a story. But then those audio issues happened, so we didn't have a 4 o'clock newscast. But anyways, I still had to get the story written like it was going to go on. Like, you've got to get everything done. So at 2.30, I had three stories I had to write. And what I usually do is I write them in the order that they're gonna air. So I get the four o'clock done first, then the five o'clock, then the six o'clock. And so I had to figure out from that hour or so long press conference, um, what my three angles were gonna be because I want different stories to air in each newscast. So I figured out what topics I was gonna do. I figured out what sound bites I wanted to use. I had to transcribe everything. So everything that Kathy Hochul said that I was gonna put on TV, I had to type out by hand what she said so that it could go in closed captioning and also go on the story that I wrote up for the web. And then I had to write the rest of my story, put in all the graphics, like what you're doing for your podcast. I had to type in all the graphics, make sure they're all spelled the right way and in the right format. Um, find file video that went with the story that I wrote. So like the first story was about whether kids would have to be vaccinated to go to school. Cause right now there is a mask mandate for kids in school, but there's no vaccine mandate for the COVID vaccine for 12 to 17 year olds yet. So that was the story I wrote for four. 
got all that done. And then, you know, we realized that we weren't going to have a four o'clock newscast. Um, so then I wrote the five o'clock story and then I wrote the six o'clock story. And because we couldn't be in the studio at six o'clock, I found a photographer who was able to shoot video of me doing the story outside. So we did what's called a look live. So it looked like I was live, but I'm not. And um, they don't like say, oh, we're going live to Kelly. They just like tossed to me like normal. So the video they aired at six was actually recorded of me outside. And we had to do that because we didn't have enough um, microphones in the studio that we were able to use. So I did all those stories. And then I also wrote up my web story, which has to be formatted a little differently than it does for broadcast. And then um, somebody who runs our website, like approved it and proofread it for me and posted that. And um, yeah, I made sure all my social media was up to date. So like during Kathy Hochul's press conference, I had to tweet out what she was saying and uh, monitor my posts on Facebook and Twitter. So that was my day today. On typical days, when I, which I normally anchor midday, um, my day starts with an editorial meeting on Zoom. They're still being done on Zoom. So I start that at home and do it during my drive in and then I get to work. It usually takes like 45 minutes to an hour for that Zoom meeting. My drive to work is not that long. Um, but then once I get to work, I start going over scripts for midday and I copy edit them. Like I'll change some words around if something's written, not in a way I would say it. I'll just switch a few things around. Um, I proofread all the lower thirds of the graphics that you see on the screen with somebody's name on them like i look through to make sure there are no typos and then i anchor midday at 11 a.m and then after that is when i get to start working on the three stories i'm doing for four five and six okay question so I... it's a long answer but that's, okay no you know, what a typical day is okay uh quick question on this one how long does an average story take you to write approximately Ooh, that's a good question um I could get a story written in less than five minutes. I could also take a couple hours to write a story. It depends upon what the story is. The stories that I did today about the governor, those were pretty easy for me to write because I, I watched the press conference in real time when it was happening. And, uh, you know, I know the topics I was covering pretty well because I've been covering them for 18 months. But if I'm doing a feature piece about a cancer survivor or um about a topic i'm not super familiar with or it's something that's not airing that day that could take me longer to write and i would say you know if there's a longer interview because it's a feature piece that's something that would take me longer to log that interview so that story could take a few hours to write but if it's uh, something that i'm doing that day like today i probably wrote the story for five o'clock in five minutes like i can i can get a story done pretty quickly if I have a tight deadline. Okay. Good to know. I, I had yeah. no idea. That's why I wanted to ask you that. So, yep. okay. But yeah, I write all my own stories. Sometimes people ask like, Oh, do you write your own stories? When I'm anchoring a producer has written most of those stories or the reporter who originally wrote the story will have written like a version of it. And then that's what's in midday. It, it could be a version that aired during daybreak or at 11 o'clock the night before, or sometimes during midday when I'm anchoring, there are stories that I wrote the day before that aired at four five or six. Uh, but if it's a story that I'm doing that my voice is on that's airing in a newscast outside of midday, then that's a story typically that I've written myself. Like we don't have, for example, like on the Today Show, they'll have field producers who might go out and 
write a story for somebody and then the reporter does what they call just voicing it. So the reporter will just go into the audio booth and record their voice and somebody else like did all the work for that story. Typically that is not what happens at a local news station like Channel 2. So what time in the morning do you normally get into the station at like seven o'clock, eight o'clock or? No, usually like 9.30, 10 o'clock. So my shift is 9.30 to 6.30. And wow. usually in the morning I'll have like gone through all the local news sources before work because you've got to go to work knowing what's going on. I will have already started writing up my email with all my story ideas in it the night before so that that morning I can just put a few more in and send that to my managers before our meeting starts. Um, when you work the night shift, which I used to be on, that shift is a 3 to 11.30 shift. And then people who do the daybreak shift, that's typically like a 3.30 or 4 a.m. start and then you're there until noon. So like when I get to work in the morning, I still see people from daybreak because they're at the office until noon usually. But again, like if there's breaking news, that's all out the window and you could be there till like one, two, three in the morning. On election night, you could be there till one in the morning easily. Um, it just depends upon what's going on. And one thing I've learned too, uh, you got to be flexible in your industry, even with yes. the podcast too. Oh, Flexi yeah. Being flexible is really important. You mm -hmm. can't just say, hey, I want to work my eight to four or nine to five. When something break, big news comes up, you got to stay until the job gets done. Yeah. So we also have on-call schedules. So for reporters and photographers, we all take turns being on call. So for me, that means that every four or five Sundays I'm on call. And if somebody calls out sick or there's a big story that happens, I know that I might get called into work. But then you could get called into work at any time. If there's a big plane crash tonight, I'll I'll be going into work. I'll get a phone call or I'll find out what happens and I'll just go in. Um, so you have to totally be flexible in that way so that um, you, know, you just know that you're kind of on call 24 seven there are emails that I've responded to at all hours of the night, like people are having problems with um, unemployment throughout the pandemic. Those emails don't stop. Like people are having those issues all the time. So, you know, I usually leave my phone upstairs at night, but every time I go upstairs, I'll check my email and I try to get back to people right away. So you kind of are always on and you have to make a really conscious effort to take a break and take a break from social media or if you're like going on vacation or something to really like disengage and say okay i need a break from this because it is really intense and it is a career where you are expected to be on like 24 7 and you might get called in at any time okay good to know um yeah like i said that's so i wanted to ask you about that um the next question i wanted to ask you uh, Kelly, I asked you, Boyer, this too. I had Stu on. A oh, couple weeks ago. yeah. He's a, he's such a nice guy. I he's feel like fantastic. I've, he's treated me like I've been his friend for 25 <laughs> years. He's such a nice guy. And uh, uh, like I said, everybody in your market has been really good with my podcast. And like I said, when I come across the States, Buffalo is sort of like my second home. Oh, that's great. So, that's great. Yeah. So uh, there's one guy I just can't get on. He has come on twice, Dave Jixter from 97 Rocks. But for some oh, reason, yeah. every time every time he comes on my podcast, there's some kind of technical problem where he can oh, hear and no. see me, but he can't hear me. So <laughs> I said to Dave, we're going to try one more time at the end of September because he's a really good guy too as well. 
he's great. He's great. And yeah, to do a podcast, you kind of have to be able to hear each other. Definitely. Yeah. So for me and Dave seem to be jinxed so far. So I'm hoping wow. the, third, the third try will be the lucky one. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Okay. This one I had to ask you. Um, thoughts on a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills? And will the New York State taxpayers cover the cost? And I guess for the major renovations needed for the Key Bank Center for the Sabres as well. And has the location uh, been finalized or are they still in talks about that? So what I can tell you is what I learned from the AP reporter who covered this story last, was that last week or this week? That was last week. Last Thursday, uh, the Bills held practice and I did a story about the new stadium. So the latest information is that the Pagulas did this study and they've decided that if it's totally up to them, now remember, the county is a stakeholder in this situation and the state's a stakeholder in this situation. So this is all being negotiated right now, kind of, you know, behind closed doors, unless we get information like the AP got information last week um, about the Bills Stadium. So as of right now, Pagula Sports Entertainment is saying that they want to do it in a parking lot across the street from the current stadium, that it would be a new stadium and that it's not financially feasible to renovate the current stadium because there's too many infrastructure issues. It's, you know, 50 something years old and the whole like upper deck area, there are problems. Like people have said that they, they're sitting up there and there's like rain dripping through, like there, there are structural issues with the stadium. So it's looking like as of right now, the stadium would not be going downtown Buffalo. And there were people who were pushing for that um, that it would be going in a parking lot across from where the current stadium is and that it would cost, I think, $1.4 billion or $1.9 billion. I think 1.4. I think 1.9 was what it would cost if you did it in downtown Buffalo because you had to also do infrastructure work uh, in that location. Uh, but they have not decided on whether taxpayers would foot the bill. I know that we've done stories where we've looked at what other stadium situations were and taxpayers have paid for part of it. But I think that this is a situation where the Pagulas have said that it's not going to get done if taxpayers don't pay part of it. But we don't know how much that will be just yet. Okay. Uh, one thing I've, I've read, they only want to have 60,000 seats. I, yeah. I, I got I understand they don't want 80,000 like the old stadium used to be, but I would say to me, 65 would be perfect for the Buffalo area. Cause I'd say 25% of the bill's attendance. I shouldn't say that's, but a, a small percentage of it uh, does come from Ontario and Toronto. Right. And I, re I really think 65 would be more reasonable than 60. Cause to me, 60 seems to be too small. And a lot of people agree with you because I was talking to fans last week and a lot of them said that they thought 60,000 was too small. Uh, but the AP reporter, John, was telling me that that seems about right. That seems about in line with what the NFL is looking for, what other new stadiums in this kind of market size, because you have to remember that like the Buffalo market is one of the smallest, if not the smallest, um, you know, because you're not going to change Green Bay's stadium. They're not going to get ever get a new stadium. So if you're looking at smaller markets like Jacksonville, um, the, he said, you know, 60,000 sounds about right. That way they can sell out even if the team isn't doing well 
or if there's like really bad weather. Although I think that, you know, Bills fans will show up no matter what, especially right now. Um, but yeah, a lot of people agree with you that 60,000 sounds small. Some of the other new ones that have been recently built have been just under 70,000. And I think the current stadium holds 72,000 people. Yeah. I like to me, a perfect number would be 65 or even 64, 64, 65. But I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. And, what's, and I guess part of this would include money for renovations for the Key Bank Center. Or are they talking about building a new arena for the Sabres as well? Downtown. I haven't heard many rumblings about a new arena for the Sabres because that is not super old because that replaced the odd. But I have heard talk about more renovations there. And I know they have done recent renovations there. But that, I think, is a separate issue. Although, who knows? Like, the Pagulas could decide to wrap it into the Bills issue. But because the Bills lease is up in 2023, I feel like that's the most pressing issue right now that they have to figure out and that it's kind of like, you know, two separate, two separate things, especially once you decide that the stadium is going to stay in Orchard Park and not come to Buffalo. Okay. I just wanted to ask you about that anyway. So, but uh, I, as much as I like the old stadium, it is probably time for a new one because it is kind of outdated compared to all these new stadiums nowadays. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about like the fan experience and, the different areas of the stadium. They're also, you know, it's a business. So they're going to be looking at ways to make money. I don't know if they would have like more suites available, more fan experience areas, you know, with special themes, things like that. I would expect to see those in a new stadium just because that's what other new stadiums across the country have had. Okay. Um, the next question I was going to ask, you've already answered it sort of. Uh, I was going to ask you about the latest with COVID in the Buffalo, Western New York area. And then obviously the the land border crossing, uh, you guys still haven't had an update on that. So you've already uh, sort of answered that one. But here's one I wanted to ask you. Um, do you think vaccine passports will happen in the future in the States or in New York State at some point? You know, I don't know. I know that according to what the governor was saying today, it doesn't sound like that's something that's happening anytime soon. Right now, I think that, well, I focused on kids. So I know that 50% of kids in the 12 to 17 age group are fully vaxxed. But we have pretty high vaccination rates compared to the rest of the country here in New York State. And, you know, the Northeast and New England have really had high vaccination rates this whole time since the vaccines become available. So I don't know if New York State would have a separate vaccine passport situation or if that would become like a federal thing and that would be something the president would do. In New York City, there are different rules. And because of the population density there, they are doing it, I think, where you have to show that you're vaccinated to do indoor dining, things like that, similar to what Toronto and Ontario are doing. But for Erie County, like, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Like right now, there isn't even a mask mandate inside for most places. The only place where there is a mask mandate is our schools. Um, everybody in a school, no matter what your status is, you have to be wearing a mask. And then otherwise, it's up to the business. Like, you go grocery shopping right now, most of the stores will say, like, we're requesting that you wear masks not mandatory, but we would like everybody to wear a mask. And that's different from in May when the CDC came out with its rules saying that 
only unvaccinated people had to wear masks. So it's something that kind of changes all the time. But I really, I don't know. I don't see the county. I don't see Erie County doing it. I don't see the other counties in Western New York doing it. And I don't see where, as of right now, I don't see the state doing some kind of vaccine passport situation where you would have to be vaccinated in order to go everywhere. Now, there are venues um, like stadiums or concert venues that are requiring you to show proof of vaccination or a negative test in order to get in. But I don't see anything happening on like the state or county level as of right now. Now, who knows? There could be some other variant that comes out where they're pushed to that level of protection, like, you know, just to, to try to get more people vaccinated and to get those numbers up. But as of right now, I don't think it'll happen. I know in Ontario, the masks are still mandatory in public and at works. And, and I told someone the other day, I think the masks are going to be around in Ontario for at least another year, at least. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, no, and I can gotten... see that happening. I've gotten used to it, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm hoping there's a day where we don't have to, but I, I do think it's going to probably be an, at least another year, uh, yeah. and then we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. Okay, uh, my next question I wanted to ask you, you already brought her up a little bit, but uh, thoughts on the New York State's uh, first female uh, and the new governor, uh, Kathy, uh, I think how you, Hokum? Hokel. Hokel. Oh, Hokel. Yep. Okay. So the cool thing is that she is from Western New York. She's a Western New York native. She's from Hamburg. She served in Congress before. She was also on the town board. So she not only as the first female governor of New York State, which I think surprised um, some people, but she's also the first governor who's not from the New York City area or from downstate in like a really, really long time. So the fact that she's actually like calling on reporters who are from here and her press conferences is is really cool because there were some days where Governor Cuomo was only calling on people from New York City or Albany. Um, but she definitely has traveled the state and as Lieutenant Governor was somebody who visited every county every year and so she really like has been out there talking to people and i think so far you know there's always a honeymoon period but it seems like so far people are generally pleased with her um and she has been more open with information her press people have been easier to contact and get information from so far um as far as my experience has has been Okay. Um, how much right now, obviously with um, Governor Cuomo, the former governor resigning, um, how many more years does she have to before she has to run again for state governor? Yeah, because our elections are so different. Like you guys are in the middle of your federal election right now. Yes. And it lasts what, like 36 days or something. It's very mm -hmm. short. And, you know, you've probably seen that Right now in the U.S., people are already talking about who's going to run in 2024 for president. So as far as the governor's race goes, Kathy Hochul will fill out the rest of what would have been Governor Cuomo's term because he was elected, um, re-elected in 2018. So he was first elected in 2010, then 2014, then 2018. His term would have gone through the end of this year. So she'll fill out the rest of the term actually past the end of this year, she will run for re-election 
in November of 2022. But since New York State is mostly full of people who are registered as Democrats, especially because of New York City, essentially the race will be decided in the Democratic primary. So there will be other Democrats running against Kathy Hochul in the primary next year, which will be before November. It's either in June or September. They kept switching around the primaries. But we'll essentially know who wins that race before November. There will be a Republican running, but their chances of winning are probably pretty low because of how the New York City area will vote. Uh, there will be probably a couple of debates. And um, yeah, I mean, it just depends upon who's actually going to run against her in a primary. So we know that Governor Hochul has said that she wants to run for a full term. So she's running in 2022. But there have also been people who said, you know, that our Attorney General, Tish James, who became familiar to a lot of people across the country during the Governor Cuomo scandal, that she's also going to run in the primary. And there could be a bunch of people running in the primary. So we just, we don't, we don't know who's running in the primary yet. And then, you know, Kathy Hochul has to win there and then run against a Republican if she wins the primary and then win in November. Okay, good stuff. You just answered my other question, too, uh, about if she was going to just fill in the position until it expired or she was going to try to rerun again for uh, yep. governor. And I guess she's yeah. the first female governor ever in New York State. Yes. Yep, wow. she is. Okay. And so if she wins in 2022, she would fill out a four-year term. So our terms for governor here in New York State are for four years, and there are no term limits here. I know there are term limits in some states. In Arkansas, I think you can just serve two terms as governor. Um, when I was there, Mike Beebe was the governor, and he was term limited out, so he couldn't run again but New York state does not have term limits for governor. So that's why a lot of people were assuming that governor Cuomo was going to run again and be in there for a fourth term. But now that is uh, not going to happen. Yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, the next question I wanted to ask you, I hope you're okay with it. I was going to ask you anyways, what are your overall thoughts of the U S pulling out of Afghanistan after 20 years? Ooh. So yeah, I mean that, has been a big deal. And I feel like this week maybe has fallen off the radar of some people, but NBC news was doing like wall to wall coverage for a couple days, you know, where they were breaking into our programming with that. So we have locally, I know over the past few years recently taken in a lot of refugees here in Western New York, Western New York has been super welcoming to the refugee community, to immigrants, and so I think that the groups who work with people who would be looking for a new place to live are getting ready for Afghan families to come here. So we have done stories about how they're, you know, looking for donations, they're looking for help because people need to have as smooth of a transition as possible. So I think a lot of people are very hopeful that families will be able to find a new home here and they'll be welcomed here. Uh, Buffalo saw its first, and I think Western New York saw its first like increase in population, this census, because the census numbers just came out. And a lot of that is due to the immigrants and refugees who have relocated to Western New York. And uh, Canada is also taking some of them in too as well. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. I just wanted to ask you about that question anyways. Um, 
Okay. And then the next one I wanted to ask you, are you okay for a couple more minutes? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I always like to check cause I, I love to talk and sometimes I lose track of time and I don't want to uh, over keep my guests or whatever. Cause I know your schedule is uh, busy with uh, WGRZ. So, but uh, the, just this, I got a couple more questions. Uh, this one I wanted to ask you, what is the latest on Hurricane Ida and the, the actual damage to Louisiana and New York City and Pennsylvania and New Jersey? I saw some of the, the flooding and the damage uh, in those areas. And I guess there was more death in, in, the, in the East Coast than there actually were in Louisiana I was uh, reading about. Yeah, I think they still don't have power in a lot of the parts of the U.S. That, it, that were hit by Hurricane Ida. We didn't get any rain from the remnants of Ida here in western New York. That all stayed to our south. But in Indiana, the changes that they made after Hurricane Katrina in 2005 helped. Um, that infrastructure that they put in, you know, re really helped. But there were big problems where the entire city of New Orleans was without power. And especially during COVID, when you have packed hospitals, which, you know, they have generators, but there are a lot of people in New Orleans who are dealing with COVID right now and in Louisiana. And also, if you don't have air conditioning and it's 100 degrees out and super humid, that can also cause health problems for people. So that was the issue on the Gulf Coast. And then in the New York City area, yeah, there there were deadly floods and those areas are not equipped to handle that much rain that quickly. I think that downstate had already broken rain records in July and they were broken again in August when Ida came through. So, I mean, you've seen the videos of cars just being swept away. And when you get that much rain in that short of amount of time, then stuff like that's going to happen. People have lost their lives. People have lost their homes. And so there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done to rebuild. Question I wanted to ask you, Kelly, um, does home insurance in the States cover uh, natural disasters like that? Or is that something you have to pay extra into your health insurance over in your country? Hang on one second, because I think that these either went out or disconnected. Sure. You can see me, right? I can see you and I can hear you. Oh, good. Okay. I think they just disconnected. I reconnected them. I can hear you. Um, so you can get flood insurance as a separate rider on your homeowner's insurance. But if you live in a floodplain, I don't think you can get flood insurance. It depends. Like that's, a, that's an issue where a lot of people don't realize they needed flood insurance until after they need it. You know what I mean? Like after a flood happens, you realize, oh, I don't have flood insurance. This is not covered by homeowner's insurance. So like typically with your homeowner's insurance, you will have a deductible. It might be like $500. Then you would file a claim and you have to go through that whole process. And people here deal with it on the rare case that we have a tornado or bad or bad thunderstorm if there's wind damage or people deal with it during um, bad snowstorms. Like if, if they have ice damage or snow damage or a tree goes through their roof in a tornado. They have to file a claim. And I know it's like usually not a great process that people have to deal with. There has also been flooding. There's ice jam flooding here where people's backyards have flooded. And I've been in their basements and, you know, it's like up to your knees or whatever and all your stuff's down there. So I know that that's always like a difficult thing to have to deal with. But yeah, you can get separate flood insurance. But if you live in certain areas, 
I don't think you're able to get it. Is the federal government and uh, other states helping out with the cost? Like, did they say how much damage uh, was caused by this hurricane yet? Or are they still looking at that? They're probably still assessing it, but there might be a number out there. I just, I don't know what it is. Okay. Um, but what happens is like the state and the federal government can help with money. So they have to declare that an area is in need of that. And it's like a disaster area. So FEMA can help and the state can help and they can allocate funds for specific situations. Um, recently, there was a story that we did about how there were issues in Niagara County in July with like a big thunderstorm or something and a lot of rain because we got a lot of rain in July. And there were like 1,100 homes that received damage. So that kind of funding can be earmarked to help homeowners and business owners out in situations like this. But, you know, there's really, if you lose everything you own, you know, no amount of money can bring back your photographs and your keepsakes and all that stuff. So it's just like a really bad situation, no matter how you look at it. And I'm not using the word global warming, but we're seeing more of this extreme weather in your country and even Canada and across the world nowadays. Yeah. And I would encourage people to check out Heather Waldman's reports on climate change. She did a couple long form pieces last week. And if you go to her social media, um, check out those stories because she really looked into that and she looked into how the Great Lakes impa are impacted as well by climate change. Okay. And I just got two quick questions for you, Kelly, and I'll let sure. you go because uh, I, I, like, I know you've had a long day and, and stuff, but uh, I loved, I enjoyed talking to you. So um, this next one I was going to ask you, have you been to any concerts this summer since the pandemic? And are you planning to attend the Bills home, <laughs> the Bills home opener this Sunday against Pittsburgh at Highmark Stadium? I still want to call it New Era Field. I know. And it had just changed. They just changed the name not too long ago. Yeah. So I am not going to the home opener. I will be um, listening on the radio, probably driving back um, from Syracuse or uh, maybe I'll be home by then. I'm not sure. Um, Cause I'm go actually going to SU's first home game in like two seasons at the dome, which has been renovated on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. So I'm looking forward to that. And that's a situation where you either have to be fully vaccinated or show proof of a negative test. So that'll be good because everybody will be safe there. Um, I did go to a concert at CMAC, which is in Canadaigua. It's an awesome venue. It's like, it's outdoors, but when you get a seat, there's a roof over it. So it's like open air, but there's a roof in case it rains. And so we went to see a couple of 90s, a few 90s bands, three 90s bands. We went to see Collective Soul and uh, that was a good show. So a lot of fans of grunge and alternative rock from the 90s were there. That was that was fun. That was the first live music I have seen since the pandemic started. That was the first concert that I've been to. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, is that stadium in Syracuse still called the Carrier Dome or the name changed since then? The name has not changed. I think that there have been rumors and talks about maybe it changing, but it has not changed. And I'm looking forward to seeing it because they did like this rail around the roof. So it's going to look totally different from the last time I saw it, which was right before the pandemic, February, 2020. That was the last trip, even though it's like two hours away, but that was the last trip that we did pre pandemic. We went to go see an SU basketball game. 
And who are the Orange Men playing this weekend? They're playing Rutgers, and they won last week. So we'll see. Hopefully they can make it 2-0. and Okay. And that's why a two-hour drive from Buffalo? Two, yeah, hour? it's about two, two and a half hours. Yep. Okay. It's just okay. down the throughway. So it's an easy drive, easy drive. Okay. And uh, last question for you. I had to ask you before sure. I let you go. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes or no, the Bills finally win Super Bowl 55 in Los Angeles this year. I hope so. I think I think that they have a really good chance of making it to the Super Bowl. I mean, just seeing how they were playing last season and going into this season, as long as nobody gets as long as nobody gets hurt and none of the you know stars get injured, I think they have a really good shot. I would love to see it. I think it would be great for Western New York, and you know that's something that we haven't been able to experience <laughs> since losing four Super Bowls in a row. Okay. Well, Kelly, I want to say thank you again for coming on my uh, Live with CDP podcast for a uh, second time. And before I let you go, uh, where can my uh, audience find you again on social media? I did put your Twitter down here as well. Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm at Kelly Dudzik, WGRZ. If you search the same thing on Facebook, you'll find my Facebook page. So I try to post different things on Twitter and Facebook, but sometimes I post, you know, the same link to the story that I did that day. And then you can also check me out on Facebook. I do a Facebook live every day when I anchor midday. So I usually fire it up right before 11 o'clock. You will see like a behind the scenes view of the studio. And then we chat during the commercial breaks. So you can watch the newscast and then also watch our Facebook live. So look for that on my Facebook page. Just type in my name and my page will pop up and you can uh, follow me there. Okay. Well, I was going to say, Kelly, thank you so much for uh, coming on again. And maybe in the future, uh, maybe after, maybe during the NFL season or three quarters, and maybe we can have you come on and we'll talk maybe a little bit about the Bills and how your Syracuse Orangemen did in football this year. Yeah. Hopefully they both do really well. Hopefully there are a lot of wins. Okay, well, I want to say thank you again, Kelly, for coming on, and we'll definitely keep in touch with you on social media then. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Kelly. Thank you. Good night. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast tonight uh, with Kelly Dudzik. You can follow her on Twitter at Kelly Dudzik at WGRZ Channel 2 in Buffalo. And you can check her out on Facebook and WGRZ.com as well. So uh, anyways, guys, like I said, I uh, really appreciate everybody watching live tonight on YouTube, on Twitch live streaming, and on um uh, YouTube, Twitch streaming, and Twitter. Uh, my next podcast will be back on Facebook as well. Speaking of my next podcast, guys, while I'm here, uh, just we're going to put this on here right now. Next Live with CDP podcast is a quick turnaround. Tomorrow, Thursday, September 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern, I'll have guest Tim Langdon, the longtime public address announcer for the Toronto Blue Jays since 2005. We'll talk to of Tim about his career in radio and being the public address announcer of the Blue Jays at the Rogers Center since 2005. And I'm looking forward to speaking uh, to Tim as well. And then uh, just also, guys, just to let you know, Live with CDP podcast. Uh, the audio version is downloaded after each podcast is available on Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, 
in CastBox, and also I download the audio to my Live with CDP podcast on LinkedIn as well. So if you're following me on LinkedIn, uh, you will get uh, my audio version of my podcast as well. And you guys can also follow me on TikTok at Live with CDP. Again, I'm on TikTok at Live with CDP. I'm trying to get a 1,000 followers so I can do my podcast uh, there as well. And just to let you guys know, Live with CDP merchandise, podcast shirts are 15, coffee mugs 15, and my new podcast hats are 18. Shipping is extra if you're out of Guelph and out of the country. And I'm also looking forward to my North of the Border Philadelphia Eagles 2021 season preview podcast this Saturday. September 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern. My guests are going to be uh, Jamie, a.k.a. the Philly Sports Guy, and Al Parcero uh, is his co-host from their podcast in the Philadelphia area. They will be on my podcast talking and previewing our 2021 Philadelphia Eagles and the new coaching staff in Nick Serrani and the new uh, starting quarterback and Jalen Hurts. So I hope you guys can tune into my North of the Border Eagles uh, season preview podcast this Saturday, September 11th at 2 Eastern, 11 on the West Coast, with Jamie, uh, Philly sports guy, and Al Parcero. Uh, they do a great job on their uh, podcast in the Philly area. Huge Eagles fans, huge Philly sports fans, and I'm looking forward to having these guys on and talking about the Eagles and previewing the 2021 season. And speaking of the Eagles, they open up their season this September, uh, Sunday, September 12th, at 1 o'clock at Atlanta, taking on Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, I'll be listening to that game on 94-1. Uh, WIP in Philadelphia and the Eagles radio network with uh, Merle Reese, who's back for his 45th season as the Eagles uh, play-by-play guy and former great wide receiver, color analyst, Mike Quick. So I'll turn into Merle Reese and Mike Quick to me, two of the best in the business. I'm looking forward to that. And also, we got Tampa Bay versus Dallas this Thursday, September 9th at 820. As Brady and the Bucks try to defend their Super Bowl champions, they take on Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys. Looking forward to that game as well. Uh, before we go, guys, I'm just going to show a little clip of uh, Kelly's that she did last week about the new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. Now, with the report that came out yesterday sharing new details about the plans for a new Buffalo Bills stadium, two on your sides, Kelly Dudzik, went to the source, the reporter who broke the story, to get more details on where the plan stands right now, and she also got your thoughts. I like it out here, for sure. Definitely out here instead of, the, uh, instead of like in the city. I feel like it should be just like this. This is beautiful. But the smaller thing, I yeah. feel like that's going to cause more problems, especially with the pandemic and everything yeah. going on. I've been to games any time of the season. It, it really doesn't matter to me whether it's indoor or outdoor. I'm kind of surprised that, you know, no, everyone says it's going to be an open-air stadium. Don't you think that they're going to make a new stadium? They should make it a dome? It seems everyone has an opinion about the Bills' stadium situation. But for the latest on what the Pagulas are looking for, we went to the reporter who broke the story for the Associated Press, John Warrow. Right. The PSC is looking for a majority of this project being funded, more than 50% of this project being funded by taxpayers. A new stadium next to the current one with a price tag of $1.4 billion. The proposal is for a 60,000-seat stadium, 12,000 seats smaller than Highmark Stadium. I think that really does fit into what the future of the NFL is going to be, where, and especially with a franchise this small, where 
there's not always going to be a demand, especially in the later months of December and January and after Thanksgiving, of a, high, a higher demand for seats. So I think the 60,000 seat range is about right because you can keep the stadium full if the team is good, if the team is not good, and if the weather becomes real, really inclement. In, in, in and he says he likes the idea of some sort of roof covering. I think the 60,000 60, seat stadium and the way it might be designed may accommodate other sporting events such as Major League. I'm, I'm not saying Buffalo's getting a Major League soccer team, but I think to have exhibition games and, and, and attract uh, international events like that, I think it will get that. A spokesperson for the governor's office told me today, quote, her administration looks forward to sharing details with the public as soon as negotiations are completed. Live in Orchard Park, Kelly Dodzik, Channel 2 News. Anyways, that clip was courtesy of uh, WGRZ Channel 2 in Buffalo, and that was my guest, Kelly Dudzik, uh, doing a piece on the Buffalo Bills uh, proposal for a new stadium out in Orchard Park. Uh, anyways, guys, and before I go, guys, uh, New York Jerry Yankees' uh, Derek Jeter was enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame today, along with uh, Canadian native uh, Larry Walker, who's the second Canadian ever to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame after Fergie Jenkins, and Ted Simmons and Marvin Miller also were introduced as well so uh like i said guys i hope you enjoyed my podcast today and like i said again my next podcast tomorrow september 9th at four o'clock tim langdon longtime uh pa announcer for the toronto blue jays will be my guest so anyways guys i just want to say thank you to everybody who watched this again live on youtube twitch live streaming and twitter and i will download this on audio and it'll be available uh shortly in the next 20 minutes or so so anyways guys i hope everyone has a great night and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 4 o'clock with my guest, Tam Langdon. Thanks again for watching live with CDP.